Hey, everybody. Hey, hi. Hello. Hey, hey. Welcome to another glorious episode of Jeff Has Cool Friends. My name is Jeff May, and you you might know this about me, but I have cool friends. That's cool, right? I'm not cool, but my friends, oh, so cool. And today I have a very, very cool friend with me, uh, somebody that I met uh, relatively recently, uh, recently, I believe, before the I don't. We don't count pandemic time. So that's like, a, it's a weird uh, situation to be in. So uh, we have artist, the founder of Nakatomi Inc., art director, super talent, all around good guy to have, Timothy Doyle. Tim, hi. Hello, Jeff. How are you today? That was so, pr- hello, hello, Jeff. How are hello. you? Uh, yeah, it's it's so good to see you. Uh, we, I mean, we've seen each other at cons before. We, we, we spoke, I think, for the first time at Designer Con in 2018. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Back in the before times. In the before times. And I walked by and saw a piece that I was like, oh, I, I immediately have to own this. Uh, and then uh, we ended up talking and we realized that we have a bunch of friends that are uh, similar, a bunch of the same friends. And we we became little buds on the on the internets, on the social meds. The world collapsed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and here we are. Are you making sounds? My computer's having a stroke or something. I don't know what's going on back there. Your computer's jealous that you're using an iPad. Yeah, I just turned the speakers off, so it can have its whatever. Tim, event. the piece that I bought for you, which I still have, it's such a big, glorious piece that I still have been trying to find a place for it, was a part of your Unreal Estate. Um, I believe this is an Unreal Estate piece. It's um, it's the Twin Sons of Tatooine. It's essentially the Lars Moisture Farm. With yeah. Luke sort of slightly silhouetted on this gorgeous sort of like a hot pink all the way up to blue suns set. <laughs> Pulled me in. Yeah, man. That one's called a saga. I, I really, uh, you know, I put off doing Star Wars work for a long time just because not only am I a huge fan, it just seems like so many other people have done their take on it. Like, mm-hmm. what else do I have to say to that artistic conversation? But, you know, I was thinking about it. I just thought, okay, I'll just, I got to draw this. I got to draw this scene. And then. You know, put my own spin on it with the you know the searing bright neon pink colors. What What's yeah. great is the need that you were like, I I have to do this scene of existential ennui. <laughs> like that's the that's what Star Wars was. Where you're like, I have to do this super depressing scene. Right. It's just like there's nothing here for me in this little town. Yeah, I'm surprised. Oh, like a ask. yeah, like a John Mellencamp song starts playing right. in the background. Can we uh can we curse on this? Oh f- yeah. All, right. All that means is the patrons get to the patrons get to hear it, and then the non Perfect. the non patrons don't. So if you want to if you want to hear Tim Doyle say, F-, you pay me five bucks a month and you can you can have access to that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I but I met you. We got along. You gave me your sticker, which was like a kind of like a bleeding goo business card mm. sticker that said Noctomi Inc. I went on and then bought a bunch more art. Thank you. I bought um, I bought you. You do this amazing uh, RoboCop uh, in the vein of uh, Dolly doing the crucifixion. Oh, yeah. I have that, and I bought this beautiful tacky gold wood frame for it. Like it looks <laughs> like it belongs in an Italian grandmother's house. I really love that piece. Uh, I love RoboCop um, so much. I saw it in the theaters when I was ten years old, and. Uh, when I shouldn't have, you know, it's not a film for a 10 year old. My, my dad uh, swore me to secrecy after we saw it. He's like, I didn't know what was about to happen. So just don't tell your mother. And, um, uh, you know, it's just always stuck with me. And so whenever I can do a ridiculous RoboCop print, you know, if I get hired to do a 
poster for a screening or something, I'll, I'll jump at the chance. But that one is definitely a, uh, one of my more challenging pieces. And I always know if somebody buys it and displays it, they're my kind of people <laughs> because it's just so weird. It's, you know, it's, it's a crucifixion of RoboCop. Like it, what, it's a hell of a, a mix of the fine art of, you know, Dolly mixed with this is RoboCop. But the thing about it was, is I used to teach a class and I did, I think we did two days on RoboCop. I did a course on pop culture and we talked about how it was sort of the American Christ parable um, yeah. from 1987. Cause I saw it when I was seven, my grandmother, oh, my grandmother used to have HBO and she would bootleg everything. My grandmother had the library of the, she had so many VHS tapes of three movies recorded in SP oh, yeah. off of HBO Showtime, the movie channel and all that. And she was obsessed with violent movies. She no Maybe sex, no sex. If there was sex, it was a problem. But if it was violent, my grandmother was f-ing in. Oh, Gremlins. She thought Gremlins was the funniest in the world. Because it is. Made me watch it when I was six. You know when Gremlins isn't funny? When you're six. When you're six. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw Santa Claus, man. Yeah, it's God. That's so good. I watched it obviously on Christmas. I watched it and I was just like, this movie will always be good. It's never, it's never not going to be a great movie, but, um, yeah, I loved RoboCop and, and, you know, when I, when I started teaching the pop culture class, I was like, I'm going to do a RoboCop unit. There's a 0% chance that the symbolism is so heavy in there. And then, so to see that piece, unbelievable, I ended up buying a Kurt Vonnegut piece that you had done for somebody that, uh, as a gift for somebody who I had was in the middle of having a falling out for. (laughs) <laughs> and, and uh with it's fine it was it was it was an ex that we were trying to we were trying to build um a podcast together even after we had broken up and trying to maintain good vibes and so i got that for christmas and it was just received very poorly so the the quote you've got to be kind was more like you imploring her to be kind not as like a general like life lesson it's like please be kind it didn't go well not going to lie but i did <laughs> But what it really comes down to me is, uh, or, or for me, and, and I cannot suggest enough that you all should check out the website to look because you have you have posters that hit, or, or prints, I guess. Is it posters or prints? You know, it's, it's kind of a, a BS distinction, you know? Like, it sounds more artistic if you say prints, but they're just, they're handmade posters. Fair. You know? Fair enough. It's, it comes out of the gig poster, the music poster community. Uh, is how all this started. So for me, I'm, I'm fine with the term poster. You cover so many of my different interests that it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, I I have to love this person. Like I have oh. to really enjoy it. Like, but like even stuff like when I started boxing, I was forced, my, my boxing coach made me listen to electronic music. Oh, nice. Because I had to have dance music for the for the rhythmic beat and everything like that. So I listened to a lot of Daft Punk. And okay. you have one of my favorite pieces of Daft Punk art I've ever seen. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was hired to do that by uh, the Flood Gallery in London because they the guy who owns the Flood Gallery owns uh, like the last CD duplication business in the UK. So they do all these like C, you know, music related events and uh so they, they hired me to do that. And that poster has been just a juggernaut. It just keeps selling. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing. So like 
Okay, so that poster keeps selling because th there are questions I was gonna have later on in the podcast, oh, sure. but like I can circle back to that. So let's say you have a print like that that you do as a commission, but mm -hmm. then it is now it is still your property. Correct. Is that right? I still own the I still own the copyright on the artwork. So this thing it, it basically is just you make this print and then it just keeps on selling. So it's kind of like just income keeps coming in even after you got paid to make the art in the first place. Yeah, there's there's a few different ways. Like when uh when I'm hired by Metallica to do posters, there's an agreement that you know we'll produce these many posters. We get this many, you get that many, and then that artwork cannot be reprinted with Metallica's logo on it. Now, if I wanted to, I could just take the art, strip the logos off, and print it as an art print afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, but that would, it would have to be distinctly different. Whereas my agreement with the gallery for the the Daft Punk poster is a, a, a separate deal and they, they continually buy it from me too they wholesale it from me constantly oh great so they sell it i sell it people get posters everybody's happy um yeah there's definitely a uh, uh and this is, might be a later discussion but there's definitely like um I, I burn bridges with some collectors because they wanted to have just super limited edition stuff whereas i was like well i want to keep my stuff in print because people want to keep buying it and that's how i feed my children yeah so that, that, i'm gonna keep printing this there's definitely that sort of mix on like the people that keep those runs very limited and sort of burn i guess it's either you burn print runs or you burn bridges right. like which one do you want to do but yeah. you are you are aside from being an artist you are a business person you are a person mm -hmm. that you are and, and we can talk about this you are one of the founders of mondo um, which has become this, you, you're like one of the first people that did a print for Mondo, right? It's like, tell me about well, that. So um, I used to run a small chain of comic book stores here in town in Austin. I'm in Austin, Texas. So I Com ran three comic book shops oh. and uh, me and the owner had a falling out. Uh, what was the was, shop called? Uh, well, there's three of them. They had three different names. Uh, there was one called Funny Papers. There was one called First Federal Comics, which a lot of people thought was a bank. Fair. Like first federal. The logo is mm -hmm. anyway. Not my idea. And then the uh third one we owned was Thor's Hammer. And uh you know, it was it was fun. It was educational. It was like small business boot camp. Mm -hmm. I learned so much so fast. It's just I had this, you know, four hundred pound gorilla of a boss on my back, even though I was the operations manager. And so one day I just quit. And I called my friend Henry Maza, who uh, worked at the Alamo Draft House and he was just started doing programming over there. I said, I need a job. <laughs> so <laughs> they kind of, they threw me in and I was a cook and a waiter and all that for a while. And um, for about six months, and then they said, hey, we're opening up this t-shirt shop. Um, you know, but the, the manager we had uh, just left. So they'd only been open for a few months, uh, but you have retail management. Would you like to run it? So I said, yes. Yeah, I just, you know, I interviewed <laughs> and they're like, okay, you know, this is yours now, figure it out. And it was just this tiny little closet of a space at the original location for the Alamo Draft House. And it was essentially just an iron-on t-shirt shop. So uh, in Canada, there's this company called Bang On, and they're bang-on tees, and they're just iron-ons. They just bang it on a t-shirt. And so that's what we were doing. And uh, whenever they would have uh, merchandise needs, they would run it. Whenever the Alamo would have merchandise needs, they'd run it through Mondo. So there were a few posters that were already made when I got hired on. Uh, maybe like four or five and I was like these look so f cool <laughs> like, who did these can we do this more 
who do I talk to? And uh, Tim League, who's the founder of the Alamo, uh, and Mondo was his idea too. Um, you know, he said, well, these came from Rob Jones, go talk to Rob. And Rob had, I don't know if he had just started or pretty recently started being like the lead artistic designer for the White Stripes. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had come out of a, but he was like, he's a big movie poster, uh, just movie nerd in general. Yeah. A really unique guy, local guy here in Austin. And uh, so I, I just would talk to Rob for, you know, hours a night sometimes. And, you know, he'd guide me through the process and point me in the direction of artists to talk to and like how the business goes. And so we just started doing more and more posters. And it was a couple of years into running it that I did my first poster for them, which was uh, for screening of The Wizard. Oh, Fred Savage. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, Fred Savage was in attendance for that uh, screening. Everybody, everybody loves their power glove reference on that it's one. So bad. It's so bad. Um, but uh, yeah, once I did that, and I'd been working as an artist in town for years. Like I'd mm-hmm. done uh, local zines, diary comics, uh, art shows and galleries and coffee shops, uh, you know, supplementing my income, but not doing it full time. But once I saw, like, oh, not only do I, completely understand the business side of making art prints i people will buy my art <laughs> which know? is it's very interesting that 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 is the thing too where it it went from you being predominantly in the retail and, and production side to you also being a powerhouse in the art side because I, I mean i remember my first experience was with mondo was when my friend tom whalen former guest of the show mm-hmm. continuous cool friend did i believe it was a jaws piece for them okay and it was just a very simple it was like the jaws skull with the tank in between oh, nice. the in between the the mandibles and uh Tom very sim- is fantastic Tom, Tom is great he's fine he's <laughs> fine uh, he's a good human jeff it's it's very funny it's very funny knowing tom for so long and to see you know to see in general where my friends go where their paths go where it's like yeah that guy mm-hmm. i met selling three by five prints, you know, at a convention in Philadelphia is now the Power Rangers toy art guy. It's very fascinating. How much Power Rangers work he gets. It's amazing. Well, it's, I mean, all of their, it's all of their, their toys now, all their packages. Like that's gotta be so wild to have that. But, um, so, but I saw Mondo in there and then it became this massive phenomenon. Um, even when I worked at Sideshow, we we used to work and have production or um, distribution stuff with Mondo as well. We had the Art of Mondo book, which I was given a copy of uh, mm-hmm. and just flipped through it and was just obsessed with that book. Um, I love I've never been to Austin and I feel like I have so many connections to Austin. I have to get down there. There's a it's, it's a the only place I would live in Texas. Do I'll you do you ever make it out to Austin Books and Comics? every wednesday okay well actually i'm mostly going every saturday now but yes so you know ty oh i love ty so great man tell ty that you did my podcast okay because he and i have um and i've met i've alluded to this before and i've mentioned to this uh in the past but i almost had a tv show on sci-fi like three seconds away canceled at the last minute one of my on-screen partners was ty denton no joke. And um, another another person whose name you will hear later that works, uh, I think she still works at Awesome Books and Games, is my friend Lisa. Love her. Uh, She's great. Who I met on the Wizard Universe message boards, like Wizard the Magazine. Universe message boards. 
So yeah, that's why I go Saturdays now because Lisa only works on Saturday. She's actually a patron, so she will hear this episode oh, okay. specifically, um, which is so much fun to see how these things. But I like, but that, I know two people that work at that store separately. I, uh, I mean, we're getting far afield here, but uh, after running those comic book stores for so long and having to compete with Austin Books, which is impossible because it is an amazing store. If you want comic books in Austin, you go there. It's great. Yep. There's Dragon's Lair, which is also good, but it's a games shop and a comic shop, whereas yep. Austin Books is dedicated to just comics. Yeah, we had a dra- I think every town has a Dragon's Lair. Right? Even though they're even though they're not franchises, every maybe every third town has a Dragon's Lair or had a Dragon's Lair that was a comic shop that also had D&D back when it wasn't yeah. popular. It's a good name. It's a good it's name. It's a hell of a name. But um yeah, but, you know, I walked into Austin Books and said, hey, I don't work there anymore. I'm going to buy my comics here. Are we cool? And they just welcomed me with open arms. And, you know, we've been doing that ever since. So I've been shopping with them for, gosh, I don't know, 15, 16 years. Do you buy books out of habit or are you reading everything you buy? Uh, I am eventually reading everything I buy. Well, I'll usually let three to six issues of a series stack up. Yeah. And then I'll just sit down and knock it out. Like I just read four issues of Wolverine last night. Fair enough. So (laughs) just next to my recording, I have just a brown bag filled with my books from my comic shop. One. (laughs) Two. Oh my God. Three. And I have so many more. I think I'm buying out of habit at this point in time. I still, I cut way back um, when I, I realized... Like at one point I was reading all the Valiant relaunch books. Loved them. I, I was really enjoying them, right? But then at some point I was like, I'm re- they're stacking up. I'm not getting caught up. And they're putting out like 18 titles a month. I just, I, I'm done. I, so, I get emailed. Yeah. I get pre- preview copies emailed to me and I still don't have time to read them because there's so many of them. Yeah. My buddy Donnie, Donnie Cates is a comic writer. Um, in oh yeah, he's great. Town. And he actually worked at a comic book store that I ran after I left. So we work for the same psycho boss. But um, yeah, he tells me, he's like, yeah, you know, these comp copies. I don't know what I'm going to do with all these. I get like stacks and stacks of comics. I'm never going to be able to read all this stuff. You know who like honestly is so good at the business aspect of it is, um, do you know Mike Mayhew, the artist? I know the name, but I don't know him personally. Yet. He, he, because I like went back during the pandemic when, when I didn't have work and I wasn't, you know, sideshow you know, let me go. And I was figuring it out and being freaking out about making money. He was like, well, why don't you come to my place? I do shit. Like I sell stuff on, I sell my books, my covers online. Mm -hmm. Um, You can be my shipping guy and just come in. And he's like, it's pretty easy work. And he paid me a great rate. And I would just go in and he had everything perfectly organized. He had like all these rules. He was just somebody that knows how to do the business aspect of something that I would like. I don't, there are certain things I don't know how to do. I don't know how to get myself out there. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to promote myself. I don't know how to be organized in these things. So when I see somebody that's artistic also be good at that stuff, I get it. Like I'm in, in awe, but I'm also like kind of jealous. I ended up having a family, which means I had to make money. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. So it was like, you do this or else. So I kind of had to force myself to figure it out. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I've, I've always worked in small businesses. I worked at a baseball card store when I was 16 to the time I moved here in 99. So like watching and paying attention and just kind of absorbing this all. Like I've never taken a business class. 
you know, yeah. I've barely graduated high school, but yeah. it's um, know it's how to what do I wanted it. to do and I just do it. So. It, it, it is weird to me. The, the skills that I've developed were they're, they're useful when I'm given a platform, but if I have to go and get myself a platform, it's so hard. Like I have a hard time figuring out how to get that stuff. It's my brain is weird and that's all well and good. And I'm sure that if I was thrown into like having a family, that baptism by fire would be pretty quick. Oh yeah. Are you, yeah, was... did you work at a sports card store because you like sports cards or did you do it because you had a job in the collectibles market? They also sold comic books. Yeah, they were, that was they why were. I was there. I was the comic book guy, but I, I learned an awful lot about uh, uh, sports but only through the rubric of uh, baseball cards. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm like, oh yeah, Mark McGuire, his rookie card is 1985 tops. And like, I'll know that, but I don't know his stats. I never yeah, watched right. a baseball game in my life. <laughs> like, you don't even it's... like sports. Hey, that's the name of a different <laughs> podcast that I do. But I am fascinated by the business of sports, but I just, uh, I don't have that gene or whatever. What um, uh, what comics are, are the ones, like what are your some of your all time favorite comics? Gosh, Hellboy, the whole Hellboy universe yeah. just was my thing for like 20 years straight. It has been great since day one. Um, but, you know, back in the 90s, it was like Starman and then when Planetary kicked up. And, you oh like gosh. Starman like with Tony Harris? Yeah, the Tony Harris stuff. Yeah, he, James and Tony Harris. He did a killer. I have a I have a sketchbook that's just Batman being happy. And he did a <laughs> Tony Harris did such a killer happy Batman in that sketchbook. I've never met that guy, but I've always wanted to because his, uh, his art style really influenced me early on when I was wanting to work in comics. I was like, I want to draw like that guy. He's the first person that I read. I was an interview or something. It was about photo reference or there was something mm. about photo reference because even as a kid, I always felt like photo reference was like cheating. <laughs> sure. Because that like you're taught art being sort of this thing that you're is supposed to come from your brain and do all that. And then I saw this kind of like expressive interview where he's explaining how he uses photo reference for certain things. And it all of a sudden clicked where I was like, Oh, that's just artists using the tools that they have. Everybody uses photo references. There's some guys like, I'm, I mean, I'll probably be surprised and he actually does, but somebody like Mike Allred has worked out the human figure in his mind to such a perfect working model that he probably doesn't need a photo reference to draw like people, but I'm sure, you know, like, oh, I got to draw a 1965, you know, Chevy or something like that. You got to pull a photo reference. Yeah. Like, you're not, that's not coming out of your head. But yeah, there's, there's no, everybody has always used photo references. It's not cheating. Um, it just, it's what you do with it. You know, if you're more expressive, like Jack Kirby used photo references, yeah. but a Kirby drawing looks like a Kirby drawing. Yeah. It looks nothing like, like a, like yeah. a, a, a people. Uh, right. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned Allred. Allred is one of the people that I've been chasing on this show for so long but he's always mm. so busy real busy and i think a friend of mine told me he's got some hearing loss from playing in bands for so long yeah so he might not do good with a podcast he uh i i'm going to guess that if he has a direct audio into his ears it's going to be a lot easier than trying to hear me talk to him from across a bar at boston comic-con <laughs> well it's funny because ecstatics is actually the book that brought me back into comics oh it's so good when i was in so college good. I was doing a research paper, um, a history uh, paper on comics, and it, which ended up essentially being my my bachelor's thesis about <laughs> comics as a as a historical medium. And so I was picking up contemporary books, and I saw 
it was X-Force at the time, but it was like Mike Allred. And I was like, is that the Madman guy doing X-Force? And I didn't see any characters that I recognized. And and so I was like, well, I'm buying this and got into it. I was like, oh, this is this. It does. (laughs) It's I love that period of Marvel uh, because they they were on the ropes for so long. Yeah. And they you know, the industry was in decline. They just had to try something. And that's when you get Ultimates and that's when you get Kevin Smith's Daredevil and you get like all this like really groundbreaking stuff because they're just like, try anything, try anything, see what sticks. It was really when we saw Axel Alonso and Joe Quesada sort of uh, working together and Joe Quesada really calling in a lot of favors, I would say, to to make these things happen. And, And you started to have really interesting pushes forward and some things that that worked well in certain areas and then. You know, I, I always thought um, taking um, J.M. Straczynski and putting him on Amazing Spider-Man, uh, mm-hmm. and it was incredible. Uh, and a lot of people rebelled against it because it was different. Right. Where I'm yeah, always it, like, why do I want the same thing over and over again? Spider-Man had been stagnant for quite some time. That's the thing. For me, I've been reading comics. See, I'm 45. or turned 45 this week. Um, I've been reading comics since I was eight years old. I don't want to read comics for me i want to read the new stuff i want to read something different and challenging and you know i've as as a straight white male i have had so much media marketed at me and made for me for so long that echo chamber is it's too much so when i see like a fresh new voice or like an interesting take or change stuff up i'm like hell yeah like let's let's do this because i have 40 years of the last thing let's try something new it is really interesting too I have the Ecstatics Omnibus uh, right mm. behind me. I have, um, aside from my Happy Batman sketchbook, I have an Ecstatics sketchbook. Oh, nice. Um, and it is it is one of my favorite things on the planet. I have, you know, people that you wouldn't even expect to be in that. But like George Perez did oh, um, wow. a, an Ecstatics piece in that. And you're like, Jesus. George Perez. That's exciting. Isn't that wild? He was so good. Yeah, man. My Happy Batman sketchbook has a Darwin. Uh, oh, has a Darwin lucky cook. bastard. Yeah. And I have a, uh, I also have a, a Lee Bermejo in that one yeah. because he was kind of obsessed. I used to do this uh, Twitter account. I still kind of technically do called Fake Steranko, where I just <laughs> pretended to be Jim Steranko, but just fully unhinged. I mean, his regular Twitter feed is kind of unhinged, right? Yeah, but not in a good way. No, I, no. We, I started it with my friend, my friend Dan Mahoney and I came up with an idea of making fake Steranko and, and we stuck with it for a couple months and then he was like, yeah, I'm bored. I have a family. And I was like, well, I'll just keep doing it. And he's like, yeah, man, have at it. And uh, we created this character that was essentially this like omnisexual, violent deviant that was relatively good natured. And that went really well until right before the election when the real Storenko yeah. pleaded with everybody to vote for Trump. And I was like, oh, hey, don't listen to the real me. Right. It's me, the fake me. We're having fun, right? Uh, and then somebody was like, leave politics out of this. And I was like, hey, f- you. You know how to find the unfollow button. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> excuse me, you are, uh, you lean left. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's very clear you're very adamant and very outspoken. Has that affected your uh, income negatively? I don't know because I can't, I don't, there's not an alternate universe I can peek in where uh, Tim Doyle's a Rush Limbaugh fan or something and see if he's doing any better, you know? But it's, there are, you can see, you can see sales trends. I mean, my sales go up almost every year. 
Well, then that's the yeah. answer. And and if they yeah. reach that, if they 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 increase at the a steady rate, then you know your answer. Yeah, they uh, even during the pandemic when it first kicked off, our uh, in person sales dropped off, but my web sales went way up. Um, I was like, oh gosh, like we were going to be able to make it through this mess. It's funny so, collectibles. Uh, collectibles were like the the one industry that did phenomenally well. Yeah, everybody's stuck at home. Want to finish that collection, right? Well, and their expenses <laughs> dropped. You got to remember, people got stimulus checks. A lot of people still were working, and they weren't having to pay. Like you weren't going out to eat. You weren't paying for gas. So people yeah. found themselves with more disposable income. That's what happened. I, uh, I finished my Iron Man collection. I have every issue of Iron Man from his first appearance to last month. Really? Uh, he's my favorite character. Always has been. And he always has been. Who are your favorite Iron Man artists? Oh, Bob Layton with the David Michelini run there mm -hmm. from the 80s is like when I started reading. Yeah. And I was like, yes, this is this is my guy. Uh, John Romita Jr. had a nice run. You know, anything he touches is great. You know, my buddy Dave Marquez got to draw Iron Man for a little while. Not my favorite armor. But, uh, you know, it was like, oh, my friend's drawing Iron Man. What the what? Uh, you know, and then, you know, of course, Don Heck and anytime Jack Kirby would pop over, pick up an yeah. issue here and there. I knew uh, Paul Ryan. Oh, wow. And, and he was uh, one of the nicest guys. Paul Ryan, the artist, folks, not Paul Ryan, yes. the evil, evil former senator. Um, <laughs> the most patient man I've ever met. Uh, he used to come into That's Entertainment, which is the comic book store that I used to work at in uh, in Western Massachusetts. Very nice man. He told this incredible story about his like blood feud with John Byrne. Be <laughs> because Byrne would send a script that was eight pages of fighting. Okay. And then Paul would be like, okay, but how do you want, like, how do you want this? And he was just like, just do it. And Paul would be like, you're not writing the book. You're having me write your book. Like I'm, I'm doing all the work here. Like you kind of got like, why am I not getting writer credit? And they got into like yeah. this huge thing where it fine. Cause he was literally putting in, you know, th scripts where it was like two pages of actual script. And the most of it was just like, and then draw a fight that lasts 11 pages. And, he, and That's... Paul, being lazy they think it's the marvel method they're like oh stan just let jack kirby run wild it's like yeah he did but it's not a good working environment it wasn't yeah yeah it was it was yeah it was like that it's like yeah have you ever heard about the other things that happened to those artists in the 60s and 70s ask steve oh ditko ask steve ditko how happy he was with that method right you know what's funny know. is when Whenever on Sideshow, whenever they would hand me a script where we would talk about Stan Lee and we'd talk about how he created stuff, I always changed the script to say co-created. Yeah, as you should. I as you uh, should. And they were like, hey, you, you read that line a little differently. And I was like, that's because he's not the creator. He's the co-creator. And that's a mm -hmm. very important thing. And so I, I was really, even when I was going on, you know, things where lots of people were seeing me, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do it the right way. Yeah. It's it's funny. I mean, without Stan, would Marvel have work? Probably not. But that doesn't mean it excuses how the artist got taken advantage of. Of course, yeah, yeah. He was he was, a co he was the company guy, and sometimes yeah. he had to be because he had to keep his job. Uh, I liked him. I got along with him very well. I feel mm -hmm. like his he had a very unfortunate finish with a lot of very greedy and ugly people. Uh, and at the same time, I do not deny that there was it, it wasn't he wasn't a, a saint. 
yeah in our world yeah it's just he became the face of management but you know the actual management never got you know a bullpen bulletin or whatever you know that you yeah. didn't know their name so you couldn't uh shout at marty goodman or whatever you know yeah. it, it it is really funny that that when jack kirby shifted over to dc he created a stan character yes was it I like love that funky part. flash feldman funky or flashman funky flashman, flashman. and it was yeah. it was stan it was just so funny funky's still around he was just in that mr miracle uh he sure he tom sure king was a yes. beautiful but tom king and, and mitch gerard's yes um such an incredible incredible book um that's right behind me too i have so many graphic novels behind me i know most of you can't see this but there's kind of amazing it's about a thousand of them total when all is said and done because they're all over here and and everything like i'm seeing blankets down there yeah i think everybody by law has to have blankets yes it's required yeah blankets (laughs) is one of those things that when you are 23 years old you have to buy a copy of blankets so you can let people know that you're deep if you're sensitive you're sensitive yeah so so then people don't flip through the james kachalka books that you picked up and everyone's just like this is filthy and you're like yeah isn't it funny Super fuckers. Super fuckers is so good. Super fuckers and fancy froglin's sexy forest. Oh yeah. Uh, which <laughs> that's such an that's such a like a wild book to have. Um, I'll I'll read his uh, Peter but- Peanut Butter and Jeremy books to my kids. When I little. I love Peanut Butter and Jeremy so much. <laughs> Peanut Butter and Jeremy is just such a wholesome and adorable book. Uh, I really do love that. Um. Hey, Tim, I don't know if you knew this, but um, if uh, somebody heads on over and if people are listening on the Patreon, thank you. But if you head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff May, you can get early and uncensored episodes of shows like this, as well as access to Ugg Fine with me and Kim Crawl, as well as other shows coming out. If you sign up for the $10 month producer thing, I will say your name out loud on this show. And Tim, that's what I'm about to do. And you can uh, react and uh, comment on these names however you want. How, how exciting is that? Uh, so exciting. I'll, I'll refrain from insulting anybody. Oh, you can do that. Screw oh. them. Screw these pigs. You do whatever. They gave me their money. It's fine. Um, so I would like to shout out these producers at patreon.com slash Jeff May on the $10 a month producer tier. Um, shout out to Cronenberger Meister Meisterberger. Uh, shout out to It Was Me, Jeff. I've been giving you $10 a month since the beginning so you could afford more gas station Pop-Tarts, keeping you sluggish. Just slow enough for me to steal Christmas. That one name attacks like six parts of my personality. That guy really went at you with his name. It was me, Barry. You know that. (laughs) You've seen that video, right? Oh, gosh, I guess not. The it was me. I went back in time and jerked you off when you kissed your first girlfriend. So that's right. Yeah, okay. Classic video meme. Love it. But uh, I I love gas station Pop-Tarts. Um, it is my my favorite road trip food. Uh, and then I'm also a huge Christmas fan. Uh, shout out to Tony Stewart Kill the Guy is a t-shirt you could make for remarkably cheap on the internet. That is true. Uh, I do a show called Jeff. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, that's the show. I do a show called uh, You Don't Even Like Sports. And Tony Stewart, the NASCAR racer, killed the guy. Okay. On the track. Real real fun stuff. Uh, Shout out and happy birthday to L. This episode is being recorded on my birthday, Seldo. Shout out to Aaron Meyer, Jolly Buckaroo, and The Last Yeehaw, The Ghost of Dave Thomas. Oh, cool. So Jeff will say anything I write here? I sure will. Shout out to The Digital Phil. 
Shout out to I didn't kill my wife. Silius Ruby. <laughs> Jessica. Yeah, that's fun, right? Jessica Robertson. Lisa Harden. Who's the master? Show enough. Alternate name, Bruce Leroy. You get them both, buddy. Hey, how about that? You get a steal. Kelly says, get your booster, you gaslighting dip turds. Mm-hmm. Children love the meat, Millie. Hey, uh, can I borrow your copy of The Iron Giant? It's a reference to something we used to do in the Unpopular Opinion okay. podcast where we would randomly have people ask random people on Twitter to borrow their copy of The Iron Giant, and they would all react very differently. Okay. When, when you're Jay Moore and all of a sudden 75 people ask to borrow your copy of The Iron Giant on DVD, it makes it interesting. Did Jay have any idea what was happening? Uh, he eventually figured it out. We have a, a shout out to Taurus Bulba at ZTP Whiskey on Instagram. Burrito Mouth. Norm from Cheers. Batman Beyond Lost Soul. He used an electromagnet. Lemming Malloy. Jeff has collectible fungus. You're going to see a lot of acronyms of JHCF because that's what I call the show in shorthand. Instagram and Twitter's at Bob underscore of underscore skull. Mackenzie, Sisyphus may be happy, but he's into CrossFit, so f*** him. Chill. I'm never going to have a history podcast, you little sh**. So stop asking. People ask me to do a history podcast all the time. Shout out to Big Booty Boy, 42069. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to the most well-prepared dead guy. Jumping rope, still a sport. Jeff not liking it, still a fact. That's so wrong. It's like the one thing I do really well. I was, a, I was a boxer, for God's sake. You oh, lion. Yeah, I guess you have to. You lion name son of a b- uh, Shout out to the big bad bollock, Jennifer Fendelander, at AV Foundry, Patrick Dore, Bart Fartigan, a better Steven, apparently, Huey, nerd numbers, at Vagina Sideburns. That always makes me feel uncomfortable saying that name. But that is a great way to do it. Shout your Twitter handles out there. Why not? Let's get people to follow each other. Andrew, I put producer on my resume, McGuire. Rudy, jerks hate cool films, Rueda. Jeff hates competitive fun. See, there's a lot of them. Shout out to Goji, uh, who I also met on the uh, Wizard Universe message boards. Gregarious Gregorio. Kool-Aid Molotov is ready for the revolution. Jared Juan. I always forget. Ruane, Ruan. I'm sorry, Jared. You can message me dm me in the patreon i'll fix that fartholomew martinez the fartiest of marty's funky J. show me in the rules where it says a dog can't play basketball gray man of the nightmare potluck everyone is welcome at the table jeff uses deep blue sea memes to break bad news i absolutely informed a few people that betty white died by making a deep blue sea meme oh wow okay i should why? Because I misused Deep Blue Sea. I used it for evil. Are you a fan yes. of that movie? Do you did you see that? Uh, a lot. I think I saw it in the theaters. So long ago. I saw it in the theaters right around when debit cards were new, and so my brother had a debit card, and we used to go use the credit card machine, but he would never get charged. Oh what? So we would just go see movies for free for like three years. <laughs> okay. I saw Deep Blue Sea probably five times in the theater you might be the only one yeah well it's very stupid (laughs) shout out to tyler wilgus asking seven kimball the casual frankenstein earl of slander steven mr billy beck cody beck can i just say by the way that a married couple each being producers on my show is so dope they could share the patreon 
they don't. Shout out to Mike Gouts. Shout out to Just Pivo. Ooh, Dr. DNA. Dr. Video. Two doctors in a row. Uh, thank you to that scene in Meet Joe Black where Brad Pitt dies. Okay. That it, is a great scene. So good. And also a generous uh, scene. Giving me 10 bucks yes. a month. And uh, finally, I saved uh, I saved the most apropos for last. Shout out to Lisa McCarty at Comics Book Girl. Comics with an X and girl with a U. Uh, Lisa McCarty that we both know. So that's fitting. Yes. Um, and again, uh, thank you so much. And if you want to have me say your name out there, you can head over to patreon.com slash Jeff May. You can sign up for the $10 producer tier. And everybody wins. And by everybody, I mean specifically me. And then maybe you if you like it when I say your name. This is how you win. Yeah, you were doing it. That's my this is my uncut gems. I say this is yes. how I win, and it's just me showing you the ten dollar producer tier. Speaking of uh, the casual Frankenstein, um, you, Bernie Wrightson, mm-hmm. it seems like you are very much active in his estate. Yes, um, Bernie Wrightson. For those of you that might not be familiar with, is considered one of the greatest uh, comic book artists. Uh, I would say of all time, his detail incredible. Uh, a master of the macabre, uh, sort of the father of what you would consider vertigo art. Mm-hmm. Um, and his Frankenstein is, of course, considered a seminal masterpiece of of graphic storytelling. One of the most amazing illustrated books of all time it's just beautiful in in um one of the uh in the painting room at sideshow Mm -hmm. uh because they were one of their first uh pieces of all time was a bernie wrightson co-production where they did the uh, the frankenstein scene in the painting room they had all a whole wall of his art as like a mural um oh hell yeah like like i guess wallpapered on or something like that it was rad as hell how did that come about? So skipping ahead in my story. Uh, so we're running Nakatomi. I, I, I leave Mondo in 2009 to start my own company. Uh, that's a very short explanation for a detailed story. But uh, <laughs> And uh, I started doing comic conventions. And my buddy, Nick Darrington, uh, who I knew from Plano. We both grew up in Plano, Texas. Um, he was friends with James O'Barr. Who from The Crow. Created, created The Crow. Mm-hmm. And he lives in the Dallas area or lived at the time. And so uh, a few years pass and Austin Books and Comics hired me to do a print to print some of Bernie's artwork for a store signing he was doing because he had just moved to Austin. <laughs> and so I show up to the signing with the prints. I get talking to Bernie and uh, I casually mentioned that I'm friends with James of Barr. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm friends with James. He's like, so he, he knew I wasn't like a... a terrible like a scammer or whatever you know like the thing that happened to stanley later in life when all these like creatures crawled out from the depths to try to take advantage of an old man um he uh you know so we we set up a meeting you know uh, after breaking the ice by being like hey i know this guy you can check my references i'm not a serial killer um and so but your references aren't gonna say if you are that's they're the ones i haven't killed yet um so we set up a meeting and over coffee, me, him, and his wife got to know each other, and we talked, and uh, said, "I'd like to publish your prints. You know, get them out there." Because he, he didn't have a publisher at the time for uh, art prints, and well, it had to be 2017, maybe no, earlier than that. Sorry, it's got to be. Well, yeah, would, yeah, yeah. Would, I was going to yeah. say it would have to be a lot earlier than yeah, that, yeah, right? A lot because he, he died in 2017. Um, yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah, I think it might have been 2012. So, uh, 
you know, got to work with him and his wife and uh, publish art prints and um, did a Kickstarter for Cycle the Werewolf stuff. And then uh, the poor guy had a stroke. And uh, shortly after the Kickstarter wrapped up, you know, he passed. And, you know, uh, it was really hard because, you know, I didn't get to spend enough time with the guy. Like, we, I'd go over there for dinner and, uh, you know, we'd hang out just, you know, talk, you know, and it was just a really great guy. His wife was amazing and generous person and, you know, kind of all got to know each other. And then, you know, just a few years into that, and then, you know, he's gone. And it was like, damn it. But, you know, I, I talked to Liz and, and Bernie before he, he passed away. It was like, yeah, like we, we were going to keep these rolling as long as you want us to keep printing them. And, uh, you know, just managed to keep it going. And, you know, the royalty that would normally go to Bernie now all goes to Liz. So we, we split everything with them 50-50. So it's not like a traditional licensing agreement where you normally kick up, you know, 15% or something to IP holder. Like we, we do everything 50-50 with, uh, with Liz Wrightson. And, you know, we taken over all his social media um, with care. <laughs> to yeah, I was going to say that's got to be really stressful in a way to do that. It can be, but, you know, mostly just people want to see his art. So we just post the art. Um, but it is kind of sad. We'll get messages like hey bernie i love your work can you do a commission and i'm like bernie wrightson passed away in 2017 sorry <laughs> yeah but uh you know it's, it's weird because you you know you say in the bio or whatever like this is the estate of bernie wrightson without saying like and he's dead so why he can't do commissions buddy um but yeah no it's it's been a it's been nice kind of being the steward of that uh you know, his, his online legacy, at least, you know, because we run the Twitter account, the Instagram account, and the Facebook account uh, under the direction of Liz. You know, so she's pretty hands-off, but, you know, it's all done with the know, knowledge that at any point she could ask for it all back and, you know, somebody else comes along that she'd rather work with. But it's been uh, mutually beneficial now for a very long time. I would say that uh, the odds of you guys losing that partnership is probably most likely not going to happen because I can't imagine anybody giving a better deal to that. And I think a great reason as to why you can both you can both like continue having a business and making an optimal amount of money while yeah. maintaining a friendship uh, with somebody that is dear to your heart. And it's I'm in a good spot because, you know, not only do I own Nakatomi, um, I own a print shop where we do all the printing as well. So we don't have to send out for printing like Mondo does or you know, Bob on a gallery or any of those places like we do all our printing in house. So I'm not paying retail for printing. <laughs> Do you do just um, art prints or do do you, are you an available print shop in Austin that people can send in to get their stuff printed? Or is this like a, you're doing your own and it's kind of like secret information? No, we, take, we take on uh, outside jobs. We only do posters. We just do mm -hmm. flat stock. So mm -hmm. if somebody's like, hey, can you print t-shirts? No, we send them elsewhere. But, you know, uh, a lot of other artists, like we, we just did a job for uh, Tom Whalen and we'll do stuff for Dave Perlo, his buddy. And Boo! <laughs> Boo and Dave. Dave He's Perlo. sweetheart. Well, you know, he did he, the picture of me that you see on social media oh, is, Dave, is by Dave. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. I did not know that. I have uh, another person that I keep uh, trying to nail down, but uh, I can never get him to come on the show, which is weird because he's so lazy. He never does anything. Who are we talking about? Dave. Oh, okay. Oh, I, wow. I've, I've, I've known Tom and Dave for almost 15 years, 15 years now, over 15 years. Get Dave on the show. I want to hear, I've heard Tom talk. Yeah, Tom. Dave's, Dave's the best. Dave, I, the last time I saw Dave was uh, last summer. I was home visiting my family. 
in Massachusetts, and he happened to be in Rhode Island. So I ended up uh, meeting up with him at the Providence Place Mall. We went to the mall <laughs> in Rhode Island. And uh, boy, that we just mostly talked about, I think you should leave. Oh, man. We that just show. threw jokes at each other from I think you should leave for, you know, we walked around and stuff. The time I saw him before that, I was doing a stand-up show in Philadelphia with uh, Valerie Tossi, my most recent guest on the show. And in the audience was Tom Whalen, Dave mm. Perillo, Scott Derby, Ian Globinger, mm. Koi Fam. I mean, it was essentially just like an artist's alley. It was there, like <laughs> if you were if you were at that show with a sketchbook, you would have right. gone crazy. Because it was just the the ta- the art talent in that audience was unbelievable. Nice, but so but yeah. So to, to answer the question, yeah, like yeah, we do take on. Uh, oh, so do you know the artist Coop, Chris Cooper? Of course, yeah, yeah. He's he actually. World. I think he lives right near me. He lives in like Burbank, I think. He lives in Austin. Oh, he does live in Austin. Now. Okay. Well, for <laughs> some reason, for some reason, I know because he was a big follower of Fake Steranko, and I I used to see him post a bunch of stuff from Burbank. So oh, maybe okay. I, I misread that. Well, no, he just he moved here within the last couple of years. Okay. Um. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I met him at the designer con actually the first time. But we were uh, we've been printing his sprints for a while now for a couple of years. That's awesome. So everything he sells, we produce uh, when it comes to the screen printing posters. Yeah. So there's a few. There's a tight group of artists I like to print for because they set up their files correctly. <laughs> they know what they're doing, and they they have reasonable expectations for screen printing, which is a hand done process. But you get a lot of first-time artists or some crazy perfectionists who don't understand screen printing is a hand-done process. Each print is going to be a little bit different than the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want perfection, you want a gicle. Like, so some first-time people like they're just like, "What? No, you got this wrong." I'm like, well, you set up your file wrong, buddy. I'm like, that's not on me. Yeah. You know, you sent me the blueprint. I built it. If G- there's a problem with the building. It's the blueprint. I have a question. A gicle. Mm-hmm. Is that it's like is that like a is that laser done or something? I always try to I always forget because most of the gicles I see are on canvas. I think it's French for inkjet. Um, it's just it's an inkjet. It's a really nice. Uh, the prints are incredible, yeah. but it is a digital process where you just once you get all the color levels dialed in mm-hmm. and uh, your file correct, and you just hit print, and it goes, and the last one's going to look exactly the same as the first one. So, One of the things I did notice about Nakatomi when I was scrolling through um, the social media was that you do, and it seems like all the people that you are doing the prints of that I know of are just good people, which I, I know that's a stupid thing to say, in a way, but I also know some artists that are complete pricks. Yes. Um, there, there are plenty, but I saw like right in a row, I saw you did Tom Whalen and Peter Santa Maria, mm-hmm. uh, Peter attack Peter two two former guests of the other show, two future guests, uh, on the next, on this show, uh, I could guarantee. And, and so seeing that and seeing these worlds sort of connect and mix to each other is really fascinating from like that from not being an artist or being, I guess, a different type of artist from being a, an audio artist. God, that yeah. sounded so pretentious. Audio artist. Um, well, it's, that's, I, a... that's what I do. I do, I do art, but it's, you can't, you can't put it on a wall. So. Right. No, I agree. Owning the, my own company, I get to choose who I work with and what I do, what gigs we take, what we don't. So if I like somebody's work uh, and they're a nice person, I will hire them time and time again. 
you know, uh, Peter Santamaria was somebody who suggested to me by uh, Tom, I believe Tom Whalen suggested mm-hmm. Peter. And uh, yeah, I reached out and I was like, hey, Tom Whalen said, and he's like, yes, I'll do Ultraman. Just like came right. Oh, yeah. He's like a huge kaiju guy. Yeah. yeah and uh, I was really happy with that working relationship. And man, his stuff keeps blowing up. He just had an art show at Spoke Art, uh, which is a gallery I work with a lot out in uh, San Francisco. And um, man, his stuff's just fantastic. Well, his stuff is so unique. Yes. Because he's nobody doing else's, he's doing else's artwork looks like his. He's doing linoleum printing. I mean, I I did I met him at Sideshow doing an interview, and like once we cut, he's just like, we should be best friends. Because <laughs> we just got along really well. And he ended up, it was so weird because he had done a limited print run. And so his way of quote breaking the mold was him saying to Sideshow, he was like, Here, you can I think he gave away the linoleum. Sure. For one of his prints. And he was just like, as long as you promise not to reproduce my art, you can win this. Or, or And it was so cool. I don't know what they did. They probably kept it. Yeah, um, I know some woodblock artists, what they'll do is they'll put a big like cross mark across it. Like they'll, they'll gouge a line across it to where it's like, okay, this you can no longer print from this, but here's this art object. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can't imagine. I have a hard enough time just drawing a print. I can't imagine like drawing it and carving it. Yeah, finding out that like how to make the raised versions of it, it's wild to yeah. me. I have, you know, one of the things is too is I collect. If I like a person, I will like their art more. It's just a th- okay. it's just natural. It's a natural thing to do. So when I look at like my art collection, and I have a lot of it, so much stuff that it's like just here framed next to me, and it's like I've got your piece, I've got right next to three Tom Whalens, and I've got an attack Peter bootleg darth vader nice. um so it's like a bootleg vader action figure with an attack peter background oh that's dope it is really cool man i gotta get photos of my stuff up on, on here uh i think people would lose their minds but i a video I, tour a I, video tour of your studio there there's a lot to look at you know it's i've mentioned it on the show before but you know what i really want to do and it, it like the work the work of setting it up seems very difficult but i want to do it so bad is i want to do pack breaking videos of trading card sets oh funny so like i want to buy packs of cards from like the demolition man trading card set and i want to i want to open those and and like talk about i thought you said card sets that's demolition man that's not i mean i'd say any card set from the 90s is going to be like generally uh Which is like, but I love that, like, or, or let me rephrase, like, like, because I see there's a lot of card breaking stuff where uh, people are pack breaking either. It's like Magic the Gathering or it's modern baseball cards. And it's yeah. a huge industry, but like, I'm too much of a comedian to want to do that. I want to do a version of that that's stupid. And I want to do it so bad. Like, I, I want to open, I want to open up like five packs of Desert Storm trading cards. Oh, I forgot about this. Things. And it's oh going to be God. like, will he pull the George Bush commander in chief card? Will he pull it? Get that Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. That, I remember. Oh I God. believe that's card number four. I don't know oh, why geez. I remember that, but I remember that number one was uh, Bush. And I believe number three was Colin Powell. So I'm assuming number two was Dan Quayle. Who published that? Was that Tops? Who put that thing out? I think it was Tops. Uh, it's like the I, State Department propaganda. That's crazy. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, when you get, like, it's weird the sh- that becomes popular during war. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems, it might have been Skybox. No, it seems it was Tops. Uh, okay. Tops did did them, and then uh, they did two <laughs> series. And then Pro Set 
did a, a set as well. Pro oh, set shifted yeah. away from hockey to go to colonialism. Well, tra- trading cards was wild. You know, that oh, was man. like a that that when you think of the 90s like everything had a trading card yeah and uh you look do you ever watch um cartoonist kayfabe yeah, i love those guys okay yeah. so like when they do the wizard magazines mm-hmm. and they talk about like each wizard magazine would come with like six different trading cards and they'd be like oh we're launching this with a trading card set as well trading cards for stuff that's not even that like there was one trading card set that was just todd mcfarland's spider-man just the panels yeah, they just oh, released sure. trading cards that were just the panels of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. I went back and bought a bunch of the Playmates Star Trek Next Generation action figures because I have a problem. But they all the packaging is like one of the action features is trading card. Like it's just a cheap piece of cardboard. Like what are you talking about? Oh, what do you got? What do you got? Oh, there you go. I have um, a generation. I have a Beverly Crusher Generations, mm-hmm. but I also have a loose. Beverly Crusher from the uh, actual. She's my crush, man. She's yes, so no pun intended. Crushable. She's amazing. She she might be. I think that that she probably molded me very well into like the type of woman that I'm into. Where where Mm -hmm. like it was just like this incredibly intelligent doctor. I was like, oh, that's hot. As a kid, I was like, well, that that's super hot. I, I want I want one of those people. Right. She was also just regular, super hot. Yeah, the red hair. Just yeah. yeah I am. Yeah. I'm currently uh, finishing up my second pandemic rewatch of the Next Generation. Oh man, it's so good. It's comfort food through your eyes. It's so different than when I saw it as a kid. Mm, I um, agree. Yeah. Specifically, there's a couple things. First off, I didn't realize it's as horny as a show of a show as it as it, it is was. A very horny show. It's an aggressively horny show, right? It's so horny where I'm watching it and I'm just like, because I know that the joke now is everyone's like, Riker f***s. But now I watch it and I'm like, Jesus, Riker f***s. Like, that's a whole thing. He That one episode where he dates the nine, non-binary alien. From oh, the yeah. They fall in love and like she has to go back to her like reassignment, whatever. Tragic, sad episode. But the, she's like, oh, my species reproduces with these husks. Like, I'm like did Riker f*** the husk? Is he the husk? F- he's a husk yeah <laughs> and then when like uh when olivia dabo was a q oh yeah and and she's yeah. like you want f-? and he's like kind of but i i don't think that's a good idea right now because you could probably like blip out a lot of yeah. it's a bad idea one time we were Poor doing jordy jordy never pulled tail jordy doesn't f- does jordy's a cre- he's a bit of a creep though sometimes yeah he's definitely a creep. he made a uh that's the uh holodeck version of a woman he wanted Yes, he and he fell in love with a holodeck version of a woman that met her later, and she was like, F- you forever. It's like finding out somebody's been making deep fake porn of you for years. Right. And then you meet him in person. They're like, ah. Yeah, like, this makes me super uncomfortable. I've been really enjoying it because I didn't watch The Next Generation for probably 20 years. Okay. After, like, after it went off, I didn't really watch it. I mean, I saw Generations, and, and like I know about it. I've been connected to it enough. But I, sure. but Star Trek wasn't necessarily my big fandom, so I I decided to do a rewatch in the beginning of the pandemic, and like the stuff with Data is also like incredible. Like all the the mm-hmm. when you see the motivations behind it, it's so different than when you're a kid and taking everything at face value. For me, it's it's writing sci-fi on a weekly TV budget in the '90s and having to you can't blow up the Earth every other episode. 
And so you have to write small and I think it gets better stories. You get better stories that way. And as much as I do enjoy watching Star Trek Discovery, it needs to calm the f down. It's intense. Well, it's it's giving, I think Star Trek Discovery is a really good example of seeing how fandoms in general have progressed and what people expect yeah. out, of, out of everything. Because the other thing that people seem to forget is that Star Trek is out of itself supposed to be a little boring sometimes. Right. Like when you look at like the movies and it's like they would talk about all this trade, you know, all these boycotts and trade stuff. And it's sort of like it's the stuff we make fun of episode one for having. And it's like that's like 30 percent of Star Trek. Star Trek one gets a bad rap. I think Star Trek, the motion picture is a beautiful film. I love it. It's the most Star Trek of those movies because they go, they encounter a godlike being, they solve a problem at the end. That's what I want in a Star Trek. You know, I don't need lasers and explosions every five seconds. It's so funny. I actually really enjoy the 2009 Star Trek. It's fun. It's a fun movie. I love it. So one of my friends, former guest of the show, uh, Dana Gould, huge, oh, wow. huge Star Trek fan, if you if yeah. you can believe it. That guy? What? Hates it. <laughs> Absolutely hates it. And mm. so uh, his partner will be texting me or like talking about like give me something to say to piss Dana off. And I should be like, well, you should say that JJ Abrams finally realized what Gene Roddenberry originally intended with Star Trek. And, and just, I'd be like report back. Uh, and just hearing him lose his mind at that idea. Cause he's like, that's not Star Trek. You made a star Wars and you just put Star Trek characters on it. But I movie, it's just not Star Trek. Um, I would like to add that Star Trek three, Star Trek Beyond, excuse that me. That was so good. The fact that it ends like an 80s music video where the power of rock and roll defeats uh, defeats the enemy, they made that work. Unbelievable. It's It should be so cringe, but it is just so earnest and epic. And it's a callback to the first film with a Beastie Boys song. With Sabotage, like, yeah. Damn it. I mean, Simon Pegg wrote it. There's, there's a yeah. reason it's good. My first, that's my first, uh, my first ever concert was a Beastie Boys concert. Oh, wow. There you go. Mine what? was Information Society at a Six Flags over Texas. Of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Mine was the, uh, the Beastie Boys at the Worcester Centrum Center, Worcester, Massachusetts, August 25th, 1998. First day of wow. senior year. Yeah. You got that burned in. I mean, it was the, f- it was for a couple reasons. For one, I tend to remember dates. Um, that was a big day for me because it was my first day of senior year. It was my first real concert. Um, and uh, I had also just gotten the uh, the Corn album with the Todd McFarlane Follow yes, the Leader, the Follow the Leader exactly. album. Mm-hmm. It's a big day for a dip senior in Massachusetts uh, in 1998. That's huge. The first day of school and then going to a concert. My kids get tired after they're cranky little ass right after when I pick them up at school. So I can't imagine going to a concert after. But yeah, you know, I mean, if it was their favorite art, because I mean, it was, the thing is, it wasn't like I went on a lark either. Like I was obsessed with the Beastie Boys because right. I was a white kid in 1998. It, you, you should be obsessed with Beastie Boys. Like that's exactly that that demographic. that yeah. I was gonna say that that's like comes with the 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 demographic of existence. It comes with mm-hmm. a Beastie Boys fandom. <laughs> That's like, uh, what band have you seen the most live? Do you know? Ooh, it's either Jonathan Richmond or the Damn It Be Giants or Frank Black playing solo. 
Nice. They might be Giants. They might be Giants is probably my favorite band that I unironically love Mm -hmm. and am annoyed by at the same time, if that makes sense. Like how I cornered the market. I love the Flood album. Yeah. Like Flood, I used to listen to it all the time. And at the same time, I'd be like annoyed by them while loving them. And it's a unique thing that only exists in this one fandom. In yeah, this one I band. I have yeah, a f- they're still at it. They still put out an album a year. It's oh, they're incredible. Remarkable. My friend Greg, huge fan. And uh at his place, there there were two there were two fan but fandoms that he had that were so like uniquely esoteric and wonderful to me. And one was they might be giants, and he had like a bunch of like set lists and stuff on the wall. And and, okay. and then the other one was Brandon Bird, hmm. the uh the artist uh that would make all the like the kind of weird pop culture references, but he's very talented. Okay. All right. He would do like, what if Frazier joined the fantastic four? Oh yeah. That guy's I've seen his stuff. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. R- really fun and, and very unique. Uh, but those two things were really, it was really fun seeing, uh, th- those two things all over his wall. Just, they might be giants and then just nobody wants to play Sega with Harrison Ford or something. Oh, that painting is so good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, you you know you know him. He was he was a uh, really interesting guest uh, when I had on sideshow sideshow because he wasn't really like uh, outcoming with the way he he talked, but he was so fascinated by the world we were in on the tour. It was fun to nice. see how he would react to that. I don't know why I'm talking about somebody else on your podcast. This is your episode. Um, I'm so boring, Jeff. You I'm are absolutely not because there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. And then we're going to we're going to take off. If you're a patron, we're going to actually have a little bit of bonus conversation uh, on top of that. But um, what I do want to talk about is uh, you have shifted from beyond just doing art prints um, and, and uh, books of art prints, I guess, as well, to something that near and dear to my heart, very excited about you did, you took your unreal estate and then you turned them into puzzles. Yes. Why? Cause people buy puzzles, Jeff. It's a way to make really money off old art. Um, how, and how, how many of these sell? Like I, I'm one, I'm really wondering about that. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Hmm. So, uh, Ken Harmon, who founded the spoke art gallery started this side business. He's got so many side businesses. Um, called uh, Recess, and they do puzzles. And they're uh, everybody loves Recess on Instagram. And because the Unreal Estate stuff was originally released through Spoke Art, and me and Ken are always you know looking for projects that we can work on together. And uh, he said, "Hey, do you want to do some puzzles?" I was like, "Yes, let's do it." So we had a Kickstarter, and it did well enough that everybody's got puzzles now. I also have a garage full of puzzles in cases. <laughs> really just the puzzles to... but you know it's all the products paid for so each time we sell it it's pure profit which is i'm gonna great. buy a puzzle yeah man i'll send you one. Oh well, yeah hell yeah they you know what's funny about puzzles is the pandemic there was a run on puzzles you could not oh, find yeah. them you couldn't find a puzzle um a thousand piece puzzle you just couldn't find them anywhere i believe it um yeah, i have coloring books and i started building model kits during the pandemic is that what you did uh, what kind of models did you like to build star trek model kits that ones that i failed at miserably when i was a child i was like i'm gonna beat that star trek voyage home model kit if it kills me and i did it and i'm so happy with it man i love that worked on it together it's great oh i love that a lot i do like that you can sort of revisit the from your childhood and sort of rebuild that nostalgia which is ironic because that's one of the things we're going to talk about in our um 
Patreon exclusive stuff. We're mm-hmm. going to talk more about nostalgia and revisiting our childhood. Um, so for those of you that are listening and you would like to know more, um, please, please, please follow on Twitter at Nakatomi, N-A-K-A-T-O-M-I underscore Tim. Mm-hmm. That is your that is your Twitter account. Um, you can also on Instagram follow at Nakatomi underscore Inc. And Timothy P. Doyle, D-O-Y-L-E. And I will uh, also put that in the description of the show. Um, Tim, what else should we be plugging here? Um, You know, just check out our business. We're going to have our, uh, I don't know when this goes up, but I'm uh, releasing a few new prints for our, uh, was it 13th anniversary sale? What year is this? This is 2022. It's 2020, and I started in 2009. So yeah, 13th anniversary uh, in business. That sale will be... Uh, starting next week, but the podcast might not be up. So, yeah, so um, you, you are listen- if you are listening to this on the Patreon, it is January 25th. And if you are listening to this uh, for free, it is uh, February 1st or after. Um, so, yeah. So, never mind. Well, how long's the sale go? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it'll be a weekend deal. But, uh, you know, timdoyle.com, the Nakatomi website, all that stuff, it points towards me and my art. And so you can definitely check it out. And we're, you know, always releasing new work. Um, yeah, as far as upcoming projects, we got some more Bernie Wrights and stuff coming, which I'm uh, a stand portfolio set, which is going to be really nice oh, wow. from the stand. So yeah, it's, it's just, we're always cooking. You do things. sales kind of regularly. Um, we do a black Friday sale. That's mm-hmm. pretty deep. Um, and then we'll do like something for an anniversary. We'll do mystery tube sales, which are fun. It's like five random prints for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I say it's random, but I was like, you're going to get one of these, one of those. And you know, there'll be a mix. Because I, I don't want people to be disappointed. Um, but yeah, and then there's always something going on on the website. Yeah. Sometimes I'll have friends that are doing mystery tube sales and then I'll order from them. Like this happens with uh, Tom Whalen actually a lot. I, I bought I bought a, a couple prints from him because uh, he posted about it. And I was like, done. And he was like, F- you. He was so mad yeah. that I that I paid money <laughs> for it. And I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to pay for art. Uh, nice. And ended up cramming a bunch of other shit in there too. Um, well, I'm, I'm lucky that my uh, uh, my staff takes. Oh, this sounds so bougie. Uh, my staff takes care of that for me, so I don't know when friends are buying artwork anymore. Because that used to bug me too. But I'm like, you know what? I just I can't be involved. If they want to give me money, I'll take it, and I don't need to know about it. Yeah, like I I don't see that as ever a problem. Like I've also not gonna lie. Like I've gotten free shit from mm-hmm. a lot of my friends enough in the past that it's not gonna kill me to send forty dollars. Right. For a piece of art that I want to give as even as a gift or something like that. I'd feel even more guilty if I'm buying something as a gift and somebody gave it to me for free. I'm like, no, I, I feel like I kind of by law have to pay for this. Please, please. Can I pay for this? Um, but anyway, uh, so follow Nakatomi and Timothy Doyle on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, definitely follow that. Check out the website. Guys, get some puzzles, get some prints, go through that Nakatomi website. I can guarantee you there are going to be five things you're going to want to work away with. Um, so please, please, please definitely check that out. Again, the first time I went on the website, even post DesignerCon, blew my mind. All the stuff that you had that I didn't know you had. Really excited about that. Um, so thank you all for checking out. If you're a patron, stick around because we got more bonus content coming your way. For the rest of you, if you want to get access to that bonus content as well as uncensored early episodes plus bonus podcasts like the monthly Ugh Fine with Kim Crawl, you can check out patreon.com slash Jeff May. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for oh, having me. So much having you. So great. Uh, you're the best. Uh, you are all listening. <laughs> you're the best. Don't forget to don't forget to like and subscribe and write us on uh, iTunes or whatever people say. Uh, you're great. Thank you very much. Patrons, stick around. Yeah.
Hey everyone, our artwork is created by Justin T. Brown, who can be found at Artness by Justin Brown on Instagram, as well as artnessbyjustinbrown.com. That dope music you heard is by Troy Nababon, available at Troy Nababon on Instagram, as well as at troynababon.com. Nababon is spelled N-A-B-A-B-A-N, and boy, does that shred. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.